Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarajek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. sisters. Today we're going to talk about phobias and how to manage them. And that's all I've got for an introduction. So <laughs> it was a late night. We were in the Nor'easter. Um, so Abby, tell me what is a phobia? Okay, a phobia. Well, first and foremost, it is an anxiety disorder. It's sort of an irrational mm-hmm. and very persistent fear of either an object or a situation. You go to extreme lengths to avoid the object or situation that you're phobic about. Typically, your response, if you're phobic, is disproportionate to the actual danger. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, many people have phobias of things that aren't dangerous at all, mm-hmm. me being one of those people. The reactions that are triggered by phobia are extreme. They're really hard to control, um, and they can include panic symptoms like fainting, dizziness, people lost control of their bladder or bowels. We got it, yeah, yes, yeah. another it, panic Yeah, panic it's, it's, it can yeah. be really severe. Yeah, I just have a little bit of a beef here. Being a communication professor, I have to say this, that phobia has been uh, misappropriated in our vocabulary in U.S. culture Okay. with words like xenophobia and homophobia. So xenophobia being fair strangers, homophobia being... Well, xenophobia has come to mean not liking. Well, I guess from the other point cultures. the point that I'm trying to say is that these are not phobias. These are not anxiety disorders. Okay. okay. If you are xenophobic, then you have a dislike of foreigners. Then you have an aversion to them. You may even have a prejudiced feeling toward them, and maybe it's a fear. Maybe okay. it's fear based, but it's not an anxiety disorder. Okay? Right. Um, so, so you're just saying that they're not phobias. They're not the type of phobias we're talking about. No, basically. We are the anxiety sisters. We are talking about anxiety disorders. Okay. Phobias meaning these are these are real anxiety disorders. Okay. Okay. So how is phobia different from fear? People always want to know that. Okay, tell me. Oh, you want me to tell you? Okay. Okay. Well, so fear. I mean, it's hard to. People say fear is rational and justified. And I kind of have a beef with rational. I feel like there's a component of fear that's irrational no matter what. But I think justified is the word that changes the equation. It's a natural, a normal human emotion. And it's justified because it comes in direct response to some sort of threat. Right. Someone is is chasing me and I'm running from them. That's fear. It's right. not phobia. That's fear because that's a legitimate thing. I'm running from someone chasing me. Right. There, I can perceive that there's danger. Now, maybe that person ends up running past me and wasn't a threat to me at all. But right. the point is, is that I thought someone was chasing me. It was, it was a threat. The one thing about that that I want to say is that a lot of people develop phobias after something very fearful happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they can be together. Phobias and fear can live together. But fear is a normal human emotion. We all experience fear. It's normal. You don't treat it. Right. Okay. Anxiety disorder. Phobia is an anxiety disorder. You treat it. Right. That's what actually our main point is today is that it's treatable. Some factoids? Go to factoids. Go to factoids. Okay. So... In, in the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic manual. That's for, what like psychiatrists use to diagnose anything from phobias, anxiety disorders, to more serious mental health issues, exactly, to depression. That's exactly. like their kind of, their book. Yeah, it's their Bible. In any case, 
they, they say that um, phobias can be classified into three general categories. The first one is called specific phobias. Mm-hmm. And 6 to 8% of people in the United States are affected by specific phobias, which are, you know, specific objects or situations. The most popular ones or common ones are spiders, the phobia of heights. Right. Snakes. Uh, snakes. Yes. You know, these are situation or object specific. Then there's two others, and they're slightly different than specific phobias. The first is social phobia which is when a person is really fearful of being judged or of public scrutiny. So they tend to avoid situations where they feel they'll be judged. Social phobia, also called social anxiety disorder, affects about 7% of people in the United States. So it's pretty widespread. And the third form of phobia is agoraphobia, which affects just under 2% of people. It's a generalized fear of leaving home or a familiar safe area which is caused by a fear of what's going to happen if you do leave home. Right. So you're not afraid of leaving home itself. You're afraid of what happens when you do leave home, like having a panic attack and not being able to get to a safe space. Or having the social embarrassment or or contamination germ issues. There are people who are agoraphobic because of a strong OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder. And we've talked about that on another podcast. PTSD can trigger agoraphobia. Majorly. Majorly, yeah. So yeah. The PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. And so that's an anxiety disorder you may have heard of from veterans, but also people who've been in all different kinds of traumas. Natural um, disasters, domestic violence. Sexual violence. Yeah. A terrible car accident. Absolutely. So PTSD can very much trigger agoraphobia. Um, because the outside world just becomes too unpredictable and frightening. Both you and I have had agoraphobic phases of our anxiety disorders. Oh, yes. Yes. So we are familiar. Yes. We understand it. Uh, the last factoid, women are twice as likely to suffer from phobias as men. Menstruation, having babies, phobias. Woo! We win. So one of the things that happens due to all these phobias, and I have had many, many phobias, Abby's had some, probably not as many as I have had. I have three. I had three. You had three. I now have one. Yeah. I have largely gotten over my phobias, but I went through a time of fear of flying, fear of driving, fear of trains, elevators. Any sort of mode of transportation. (laughs) Anything that took me out of my apartment, basically. So I had a lot of agoraphobia. And so what basically can arise from untreated phobias of certain types is this idea that we call shrinking world syndrome. SWS. Yes, SWS, shrinking world syndrome. And what happens is... And by the way, that can affect all anxiety sisters, not just phobics. Oh, absolutely. In other words, honestly, it felt to me like a pretty small leap from my panic attacks to not leaving my house. Well, I mean, part of what happens is when you're having so many panic attacks, you do develop some agoraphobia because you think, I'm going to have a panic attack and have to get home right. to safety. Right. So I have to get to my bed. I have to get to my bed. <laughs> and if I'm at the mall, I have to get out of the mall. I have to get in the car. I have right. to drive. Right. Um, have you ever thought to yourself, like, what are the five worst places I could have a panic attack? I sometimes think about that. Just throwing that out there. Oh, yeah. I've, I've had them all. I know, but I'm just saying that that thought is probably what yeah. led to me saying I'm better off in bed. Right, right. <laughs> So with SWS, you literally do start to feel that it's better off not to do something 
than to suffer, especially with the phobia, I'm going to say. So for a so lot your of, world shrinks. Your world shrinks. So for a lot of people, that might mean if they have a fear of driving, they may say, okay, well, I need to drive locally, but I won't go on a freeway oh, we have or a, a highway. We have a lot of anxiety sisters who write to us about freeway driving. They won't do. And often they write to us that they feel badly about that. One person wrote to us like she wanted to take her kids someplace. That was just a day trip, but felt that she couldn't drive on the on the interstate or the highway. So not only did she shrink her world, but she felt that she was shrinking the world of her children. So that is actually how I got over my fear of flying. I had a, fly, fly, a severe flying phobia, and I eventually got over it because my world was so small. My children lived up north. I lived in Florida. Uh, I mean, I couldn't see my kids. You know, and some people have found themselves in the situation with SWS. It kind of comes on slowly. So it may not be something like, oh, my kids live far away. It's it's little things that you choose maybe yeah, like, not oh, to you do. Know what? I'll just, I don't really need to go to that dinner tonight. I'll right. get out of that. It'll be nice to just get in right. bed and watch some TV. And Some people will think like, yeah, I don't have to go to the movies. Is my life going to be so bad from not going to the movies? Right. There are little ways that it starts where you start avoiding small things. But the result, and it grows. It does grow, and the result is always... You know, my question is always, is your world smaller because of this? And we also like to ask other anxiety sisters who inquire if they have SWS, we say, what is making decisions for you? Right. Is it your anxiety making the decisions or are you making the decisions? Exactly. If your anxiety is making the decisions, you got some SWS and Uh it's treatable. It is. It is is treatable because we are now out in the world. Me and Mags, not in bed. We are podcasting from not in our beds. Although I do spend a lot of time in bed. Well, so do I. (laughs) All anxiety sisters do, don't. So people always ask what causes phobias. And I know, Maggie, you've done a lot of research about this, and you understand this better than I do. But what I'm going to do is give you sort of the standard Wikipedia-type answers that that people will give you, doctors will give you. And then you can go into some more details and fill in the blanks. Just, Just so you know, though, even doctors... Even scientists are still really struggling with what exactly causes phobias or other kinds of anxiety disorders. But Right, but they have some very good theories that have had some research to support it. So the, we're going to go with that. Okay. So the first known cause is your standard classical conditioning. Classical conditioning is when you learn a response from a stimulus. Right. Okay. So give me an example. All right. So I put my hand on the stove and I burn it. I learn not to put my hand on the stove again. Right, because right? then I'll get burned. So that's that's classically, I'm conditioned. I'm conditioning my brain to understand how to react to a specific stimulus. So connect that to a phobia. Okay, so I get I get bitten by a dog when, this is not a true story, I get bitten by a dog when I'm six years old playing on the playground. Then I'm afraid of dogs because uh-huh. I perceive that I will be bitten. Right. Even okay. a perfectly sweet dog, you still perceive even, you'll be bitten. Even a tiny little... It's not current reality, dog. but it's something that did happen to you. Right. So that is one cause. Our brains are conditioned that we don't want to have a negative experience twice. <laughs> you know, so part of the way our brains work, part of our neural pathways, and when we have a negative experience, it remembers. Yes. Yes. I think that may be the foundation of anxiety. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's possible. Another cause for phobia would be something that's called vicarious acquisition, which is fancy speak for observing someone else react to something and then copying that response. So, for instance, if let's say I have a phobia of dogs, 
and my child sees me recoiling in fear from every dog I see, then that child, from observing that, can right. learn that behavior and the behavior I modeled. That makes so much sense. So, because um, you are learning from your caregivers. So phobias can be contagious. They they definitely are contagious. They also, in terms of modeling for children, there is a very strong case that phobias have some epigenetic component to them. Yeah, I remember you did this really fascinating research about survivors of the Holocaust and then the generations to come and how the genes, they found yes, that the genes, genes had been affected. Changed. But it's also, they've done research in terms of those separated identical twins. Oh, yeah. And Can't separate mine. Yeah. <laughs> and they both have the same phobias, even if they've never met each other. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that is pretty fascinating, fascinating to me. So, again, another cause for phobias is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm -hmm. which you know, is very common in terms of veterans coming home from war. Mm -hmm. Also, though, it can be, like we said, accidents, disasters. Victims of sexual or physical violence. A very difficult loss. Even, yeah. a, even a terrible car accident. Yeah, um, oh, especially, that's a disaster. Yes, because a lot of people will have a car accident and say, I don't know if it's a phobia because I was fine driving until I had this terrible accident. Right. And, and there is a legitimate reason. That's a legitimate uh, threat. Absolutely. You know? I mean, it does develop into a phobia because right. the threat isn't current. So it becomes irrational, but it started in a very real right. justified fear. Absolutely. So PTSD is a really important component. But also what happens is if people have experienced a really big trauma, they develop new phobias that may not be related to that trauma. So they're contagious and they spread. They spread. So Basically chickenpox. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Someone who's had terrible loss or, or veteran coming home from war, they develop phobias to things that they didn't necessarily experience the first time. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of well, like... Well, I imagine the neural pathways get tripped. Yeah. You know, it's yes. like that, that circuit, that the, the circuitry of fear is really easy to trip. Absolutely. Then I just was reading the other day something really interesting about traumatic brain injury. And phobias. And phobias, Yeah. Oh, I don't know about this. Yeah, I mean, it's relatively recent research because um, I was reading about, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the football players. Yes. And they're, I keep forgetting the, the name of the disease they have where they have brain injury, right. you know, from repeated concussions. Yeah, their frontal lobes are pretty much. Yeah, but what they found is that a lot of these football players develop phobias. Hmm, like in their so 40s and 50s after they played, you know, 15, 20 years of football or you know, had their head smacked into other people's helmets 2,000 times, there's been some brain damage. Uh -huh. and, the, and one of the results of that can be the development of, of irrational fears. Right, so a traumatic brain injury, which would make sense even in terms of veterans getting phobias oh, yeah. too. Sure. So many of them have TBIs. Sure, sure. Um, or even they, they actually did a study about people who were in, uh, who had brain damage from an accident. right. And they developed phobias as well. All bets are off when you've had traumatic brain Absolutely. injury. You know? Absolutely. Even though the brain is tremendously malleable and amazingly resilient. And in certain cases, new neural pathways are often able to be made. But, you know, that kind of long-term traumatic brain injury is really hard to work with. Absolutely. So basically those were the causes. Like, okay. Know, were there any that I missed? I think that there has been, and this is very controversial, you know, with all anxiety disorders, we always talk about that there's a very evolutionary reason mm. for them. 
I was reading about it because I was fascinated. And I, and they said that people were afraid of spiders because back in the day, spiders carried the plague and they carried all kinds of diseases like oh. that would, they directly equated yeah. the presence of spiders with death. Right. Same thing with rats. The idea that many generations, an entire epic, was formed around this disease and the fear of what transmitted that disease. Absolutely. And then you think about even earlier times, anything that moved quickly and could creep up on you. Yeah. They say like more people are afraid of little things like spiders and yeah. snakes than they may be of bigger things that are slower in coming. Right. Because you you didn't have a lot of time to react to the poisonous snake, so to speak. You right, know? right. So our body learns to fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah, so the people that were most efficient survive. That is a theory, and other people have some issue with that right. theory. So let me just yeah. say that. It's but controversial. It's controversial, but it makes, some makes sense. It makes sense to me. It makes sense to And me I too. like to believe that, that my phobia of bugs has something to do with you know my ancestors, and it's not just me. Not just OCD. Not just OCD. So now that we've talked about the distinctions between fears and phobias and some facts about it and some possible causes of phobic responses, we thought we'd share a little bit of our own experience. After all, we are anxiety sisters. That we are. So Hmm. Mags, you have some experience with phobias in your life, yes? Yes. I vaguely remember some of those times. So I developed phobias around when I developed panic attacks. I really didn't have phobias before that. Maybe my flying started to develop a little bit before I started getting panic attacks. And my phobias were mainly around transportation. So it started with flying. It went to driving in the rain. Driving. Oh, my God. Do you remember my wedding day? Yes. (laughs) I do. I actually pulled over and told you to get out of my car. There was an explicative used in there. Yes. I don't do that anymore because I'm, you know, a woman now and mature. But when I was a kid in my 20s, I was like, get the blank out of my car. Yes. It was the only time I've ever heard you curse at me. Or anyone. Yeah, I don't. But it's just that you were so panicked. You were literally having a panic attack. I was having a panic attack on your wedding morning because we were driving in the rain. I was driving. You weren't even driving the car. Well, it doesn't matter whether you're driving or not. Okay. For a lot of these phobias. So... Driving in the rain, and then it became driving. It just became driving. You were hyperventilating. Yeah. Yes. I was having a full-blown panic attack. Then I lived in New York City at the time, started having panic attacks on the trains. I lived in a high-rise. My elevator started giving me panic attacks. And you can't think back to anything that might have caused any of this? Or it's just the one, these are the ones that came out of the blue? It was panic attacks. I think I was developing a severe case of agoraphobia. Uh, I don't want to say a severe case. I think I was developing agoraphobia. And so anything that took me away from home, that was my safe place, became a focus of panic. Now, for driving, I had been in a few accidents in the rain, Mm. not driving, and they... You know, I had been in a few spin-outs in the rain. Ooh. Yes. You also had a, um, a phobia that's very common right. called emetophobia, which is the uh, fear of vomiting. I had emetophobia for my whole life. Except now. Except until I became pregnant. And you had the same thing I did. You had hyperemesis, which means I constant actually, vomiting. I actually didn't. Wasn't diagnosed with hyperemesis. Oh, you believe were? Or not. I no. you were diagnosed. But no. you did throw up a lot. I throw, I threw up all the time. So once you do it all the time, it's exposure um, therapy. It's exposure therapy because... <laughs> By my, after my second pregnancy, after the second one, which was probably even worse than the first one. Yeah, now you can throw up no problem. I 
can throw up. I aim perfectly. It's done. Can you I don't clean know. up anybody throw up? Oh, yeah. I always could. Yeah, I can. I always could. But yeah. it is a very common phobia. There are a lot of people who are petrified to throw up. And, yes. And they really go into a tremendous fear response when a real panic when they oh, think yeah. that they might throw up. Oh, absolutely. Or if they think that someone near them might throw up. And they actually really hold in. Yeah. When they really almost need to vomit, they really hold it in. I used to think that I was choking when I was throwing up. I thought I would choke yeah. and die. My most intense phobia was the driving phobia. Mm. And we have a lot of that in sisterhood, right? We have I know so you much. answer that every day. You answer driving phobia. Yeah, right? yeah. There's... There's people afraid of driving on the freeway. There's people afraid of driving on bridges, tunnels. Well, there are people that won't get in a car. Overpasses. Yeah, a lot of people have worked it out, depending on where they live, so that they can drive very locally because they have to, right. you know, in, in most of America. But that is a major, major source of phobia that I think is really not talked about a lot. We always hear about fear of flying. And what about you, Abs? What's your phobia? So when I was a kid... I remember my first phobia as a young child. I don't know how old I was, but I was petrified of needles, mm. you know, injections, mm -hmm. not sewing. So much so that when I used to have to go, I would, I would very often almost pass out when right. I was getting a shot. It was like, it was really, I mean, I would be in panic mode for days. My mother learned not to tell me that I was going to the doctor for an injection because I literally would black out. It right. was so bad. Right. Um, I, the whole world would spin and I was I was so frightened I don't know what caused it I didn't have a bad experience with needles Maybe it's because your dad was a dentist I don't know I'm kidding no I'm joking and I'm here's joking. Like, well here's something interesting that you say you know what I was not afraid when I had to have needles from my father to have my teeth extracted. Really? Interesting. Or maybe I was afraid, but I was more afraid of my father. Yes. <laughs> Might have been that. That could have been true. That could have been Oh, we're giving Mark we, a hard we'll, time. we'll talk about dental anxiety another time. We're definitely going to talk a about that. a major one. But, right. um, but no, so, so needles. I, don't, I don't know. Like, I didn't have a bad experience that caused it. It just, I was petrified. You know what it was? I was sort of more okay with a needle taking something out of me, like a blood draw, yes. than I was with the needle putting something in me. Well, like, they hurt less. Yeah, but... Blood draws hurt less, but also, when we were kids, shots were much more painful than oh they are Oh my God, now. the needles were so much bigger. Now and they can see them. Now, and they lasted so much longer. Oh my God. My mother used to shove marshmallows in my mouth because I was screaming so loud. Yeah. Which she could have killed me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, the worst thing is my mother has a very nervous laugh. Like, when she gets nervous about something, she starts to laugh really hard. And so when I would be on the floor crying hysterically and hyperventilating, my mother would be laughing. Aww. But she wasn't laughing. Yeah, she no, was she upset. wasn't mean. She was upset. But yes. I just, it just was so traumatic. It was Aww. horrible. I only recently got over my needle phobia. I got over it really when I was pregnant. Well, I guess not that recent, 20 years ago now. 21 years ago. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'm so old. Anyway, but when I was pregnant with John, I had hyperemesis. I was diagnosed with that, which is constant vomiting. So I couldn't keep anything down at all. And I had to have, when I would go to the doctor every week, the OBGYN, I had to sit and have IV fluids because right. I had to be re rehydrated because I was always so dehydrated. Right. And so literally every week for something like 20 weeks, I was getting a needle put in my arm. 
So the uncomfortable part of pregnancy really helped both of us get over phobias. It's true. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is exposure therapy. It We're going to talk about that treatment. It is in exposure a therapy. And then you know, and then of course, when I got diagnosed with all my autoimmune issues, and then I had to have all kinds of shots. I mean, I remember when I first found out I had to have weekly vitamin D shots. Do you remember that? Mm. Oh my God, I was so afraid. But you know, now it's no big deal. Now you're, you yeah. got used to it. So, so that was my needles one, and then I had a terrible fear of flying, a terrible phobia. To the point where I stopped flying for almost seven years. We both had terrible phobias of flying. And my lucky piece about it was that I was in therapy at the time. And my doctor said, don't you dare stop flying. But I would spend the entire time flying, dry heaving. Dry heaving in the bathroom. And you would call me beforehand crying hysterically that you could not get on the plane. I had the EMS come and meet me one time because my hands went numb. Do you remember when you were going to Europe? Yes. And I had to come. I had to come from New Jersey to New York to get you off the floor. You were huddled on the floor. You were so afraid to fly. Yep. Oh my gosh. And what about your so, glass phobia? Well, yeah, I'm getting there. But the flying for me, actually, I loved flying as a kid and as a young adult. Loved to fly. It was the crash of TWA Flight 800. Oh right. I was living in New Jersey at the time. That was a crash that happened off. It was uh, Air France, and it. No, TWA? TWA. TWA off, off of Long Island. Off of Long Island, that's right. And the plane was right after takeoff. Okay, we won't talk about it more. We don't no, we don't need to. But the point is is that the coverage, the media coverage of it, yeah. the first night yeah. was so raw. They didn't show that coverage again after yeah. the first night. But we were living in the New York area, and the coverage of it was so visceral, and they were doing reenactments. Yeah. It was so horrendous that I did not fly for five or seven, five to seven years after well, that. Well, an interesting thing about that is that you can develop a phobia from a direct experience of something, but you can also develop a phobia. A lot of people after 9-11 develop flying oh, phobias. Oh, yes. So you can also develop a phobia by just watching coverage on TV. Yeah. And since they loop these things and play them over and over in your brain it's happening over and over it's, over it's, and over your brain doesn't just recognize the loop it just sees it as distinct activities exactly the same thing over and over exactly. so when they were showing the trade towers coming down every 20 minutes for weeks and weeks right that's what you know. your brain was your brain was watching the planes go in and each time it was new it was new so yeah. that's interesting about for you is that you didn't develop a phobia from having the experience no, but you had watching. the experience because you watched it and oh and it was over and over that yes. media, it was a non-stop media yeah it coverage. was a very big really really hard um my my final phobia it was the only one i still have i'm afraid of bugs well not bugs i'm afraid of a certain type of bug i'm she gonna wait let me just close my ears she is afraid of roaches did you say it already yes okay i had to cover my ears you know what's really weird when i was doing the prep notes yeah for this, I had to write the word bug. I cannot write the word roach. Ah, thanks. I mean, I literally start, my heart beats faster. Right. I am petrified of them. Right. Petrified to the point where I will black out if I see one or, you know, I get really freaked out by them. I live in Florida at this point. It's a rough phobia if you live in Florida. Mm. Um, although I've been extremely lucky that my house has been free of them. Mostly. Mostly. I mean, as much as, as much as anybody can be in Florida. But, I mean, the one time that I did see one in my house, I made my husband, he was in a meeting in Miami, which was an hour and a half away. I made him leave the meeting, drive home, and remove all the re- appliances from our kitchen because it, it went under the stove. And I made him take out the stove, the refrigerator, I mean, literally move the whole kitchen to get it because I would not have been able to live in the house if it was alive in there. So many people are afraid of spiders. 
I'm not afraid snakes. of spiders. Either. No, no, but uh, so it's often like one particular type of bug. And I don't know why, but I do have a lot of childhood memories of them. We we had a, we had we lived in Florida. We lived in Florida, and there they were there were more in our house in Florida growing up than there are now. Um, I I have that with mice. I'm petrified. That's another phobia of mine is mice. Yeah. Like they're it petrifies me. Can I tell you a funny story? I had such a you know bug. I call it bug phobia because I don't want to say the word. But when I was in um, college one one summer, I was living in Hamilton Court. Remember, mm-hmm. and they had we had this fabric chair. I was living with like five people at the time. You know, we were all students. We yeah. had no money. We were all you know. It was a really old and dirty place, basically. It's all we could afford. And I was sitting on the sofa and saw the shadow of one fly in, and it landed on the fabric chair where my boyfriend was sitting. And I picked up a can of hairspray and my lighter, because I smoked at the time, and I lit the whole chair on fire. That's how freaked out I was. I actually almost torched the house. Because I was so freaked out. I'm pretty out. much like that with mice. So we see that people have odd phobias of things. But my husband's afraid of clowns. Yes, that's a very common phobia. Yeah. I mean, but you, you name it, there can be a phobia. Right. Phobia. I have a friend who's very afraid of mushrooms that I grew up with. So how do you deal with them? Yeah, that's the big question for most of us. So when I was at my most phobic, I was already in conventional therapy. I went to an expert on anxiety and phobias in in New York City. And one of the things I kept saying to him is, why do I have all these phobias all of a sudden? And he said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why you have them. The causes don't matter. They don't affect the treatment. Of course, I never quite believe that because I'm always someone who wants to know why. So what we did for treatment was exposure therapy. They also call that... Systematic desensitization. So what he believed and what he would do is, you know, you you start with the medication. For me, it was both Zoloft and Ativan or Xanax, one of those. Okay. For other people, just a benzo or just a beta blocker. Benzos are Ativan, Xanax, Valium. In other words, just to control the symptoms. Just because be- if you're going to do exposure therapy, you have to be able to tolerate some discomfort because you're going to be exposed to what you're afraid of. If I were going to have exposure therapy with that type of bug, yeah. I would have to have a tranquilizer of some sort right. to see one because I wouldn't be right. able to handle it otherwise. What he did was, I'm just going to take my driving phobia because I know so many people have it. And mine was so severe at that point, And I wasn't driving every day because I was living in New York City. And so what he did was he had me practice building up to an hour. He said, you know, pick a place to drive that is not so frightening for you. So you don't start on the freeway. For me, some local streets where I grew up was not a frightening place to drive or places I knew I could go slowly mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of traffic. Do that for an hour as many days a week as you can. Mm-hmm. Was um, that the same guy who had you riding in your elevator? Yes. Like every day you had to go like from, from the first floor all the way to the penthouse and yeah. back. Yeah, I had to spend an hour in the elevator every day. When I was when I was tackling my elevator phobia, it was an hour. But you took medication in order to do this. I took medication in order to do this, although I have to say he had me start immediately. So I was taking Xanax, but the Zoloft had not kicked in. Right. So what he had me do was drive for an hour and then slowly start to drive places that were a little more frightening, like a highway, mm. drive in the rain. So you build up to you it. You build up to it. And if you can't start with an hour, you can't start with an hour. If you right. can start with five minutes, you start with five minutes. 
Right. But one of the things that I found from exposure therapy is that when you start treating one phobia, it quickens often the treating of other phobias, especially if they're sort of similar. Yeah, it's like there's very similar neural pathways for fear, the phobias. Right. And then what happens is that for me, because I was experiencing agoraphobia at the time, as I'm tackling these phobias, the agoraphobia starts to get much, much less. Right. Yeah, because you have to leave your apartment to go in the elevator. (laughs) Right. And as you're tackling all those things and feeling safer leaving your apartment. Yeah. The agoraphobia became and less then, intense. And then you stopped taking the Xanax when you had gotten over the phobia. Yes. Yeah. So for a lot of people, you can stop using um, medication once the phobia is better. And, you know, but for many years, I have to say, even though I was over the driving phobia, driving was rough for me. It was, especially in the rain. Mm. The rain would bring it on for many years. I remember our California trip. And now when I drive rain, highway, whatever, you know, sometimes I'm shocked that I'm not even having a little bit of panic. Right. I'm not even having like, but any, but anyone on the road with you is having a panic attack because you're, you drive with your eyes down. I'm a very good driver. <laughs> she is not a good driver. I'm a but she's a better driver. driver than her husband. <laughs> Definitely. I'm a very good driver. Okay. So, uh, so that's exposure therapy. And, and nowadays they also use virtual therapy, right? Right. They, they, for exposure therapy, they right. can actually use virtual like reality. Like virtual reality, yes. Therapy. Virtual glasses where they can create scenarios. Yes. Yes. Because yeah. there are certain things that are harder to expose someone to or they want to do what it are, more controlled. What are some other treatments that they do? Well, another treatment is, is progressive relaxation. Oh, like, or like using biofeedback. and using Yeah, using anything that will help you learn to relax and control and, your breathing and control your, your heart rate and that kind of stuff. So you can use those techniques if you're in that situation. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, and another one of those, it's similar, but I used hypnotherapy. Oh, I've read a lot about hypnotherapy success with phobia treatment. Yes. I used it for my fear of flying, but it's basically deep relaxation. Right. They basically are teaching you to relax yourself very deeply. Right. Now, I have to say that the hypnotherapist said to me, some people are more suited for this than others, mm-hmm. and we don't know till we try. Right. It really worked for me. I have to say, it couldn't, I, it couldn't be my only thing. Mm-hmm. I also needed the exposure therapy and the medication. Well, they say most people do need the exposure therapy on some level. Yeah, and the medication. But you might not be able to start with that. What's modeling? It's when a therapist demonstrates how to sort of conduct yourself in the face of your phobia. So for instance, let's just say I was going to go to a modeling therapist for help with my bugs. The roaches. Stop saying that. It makes me so crazy. I know, I know. But they have to know. They have to know it's not all bugs. Help with your bug. All right, my bug. So a modeling therapist would make me watch her be in a room with a roach. Right. and, And show how relaxed she is and talk to me during it and show me that there is no imminent danger that there that you know to help me recarve a neural pathway by witnessing you know I don't know if she'd actually pick it up I, I think I'd be fainted by then but whatever that, that's the idea is that you watch someone else right manage the phobia and you right. and you learn from that but I, I think I would still need massive amounts of sedatives to be in the same room and, and, you, and you said that you've been reading a lot about veterans you said oh, they're, yeah. exper- they're, they're experimenting with a lot of- there's so many new treatments that they're experimenting with there's one type of drug that they're experimenting with 
that sort of seems to help them lessen that very visceral sensory Mm. part of the memory. They're also doing this in here and in different countries with people who have been victims of sexual violence or rape survivors or abuse survivors. They're actually trying some psychotropic drugs. Like LSD. Yeah, I can't remember which one they're using for that. It's still an experimental They're using the pharmaceutical version of those drugs. (laughs) They're very controlled. So I guess the most important thing about this podcast is for us to point out that phobias are anxiety disorders. They're legitimate illnesses that can be treated. They have very high success rates with treatments. And you and I know this because we have both overcome phobias uh, and even agoraphobia, which is tough. It's not an easy road. No, it's not easy. And there are some phobias that you may not ever need to... I mean, I'm not going to get professional help for my bug therapy right my, for my bug phobia for my roach phobia but if you see so you're having a little bit of exposure therapy right now just roach, 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 roach. <laughs> i'm freaking myself out so you know if you're suffering it it's not a quick or easy road but it's worth it it's worth it because your life you will help your life become bigger yeah i mean in terms of like a driving phobia or a flying phobia These are things that really do affect the quality of your life if you can't do them. Absolutely. So it's worth getting treatment. On our next episode, uh, we don't know what's on our next episode. Actually, we have some ideas. Um, We're working on some scheduling issues with a possible guest. Yes, we have a guest! Yay! Um, But for for now, it's a, what, what should we call it? The mystery podcast. The mystery podcast. Okay, so our next podcast is a mystery. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on our website at www.anxietysisters.com. As always, if you have feedback, especially compliments, any kind of feedback, questions, or an idea for a podcast, please email us. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we would so, so, so appreciate your leaving us a review on SoundCloud or iTunes so we can get the word out to more anxiety sisters. Yeah, we need reviews. Please review us. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, anxiety Anxiety sisters don't go it alone. You've been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.